Welcome back to the podcast. It's been a strange year, hasn't it? I'm recording this in 2021, and we're still not at the end of the current worldwide pandemic. People have been searching for comfort in all sorts of places, whether that's in family, in medicine, or in simply having more stuff. Where are Christians meant to find comfort? Well, over the next few weeks, we're going to be playing some sermons I've been giving from the book of Isaiah. This book is foundational to the New Testament, and uh, the New Testament authors seem to say that their message is in line with it. So we're going to see what it says, and we'll see where God calls us to find comfort too. So we're going to be reading Isaiah chapter 43, verses 22 to 28 this evening. Let me read these verses for us. Isaiah 43, verses 22 to 28. Yet you have called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honoured me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. You have not brought any fragrant calamus for me, or lavished on me the fat of your sacrifices. But you have burdened me with your sins and wearied me with your offences. I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. Review the past for me. Let us argue the matter together. State the case for your innocence. Your first father sinned. Those I sent to teach you rebelled against me. So I disgraced the dignitaries of your temple. I consigned Jacob to destruction and Israel to scorn. Well, this evening, we're back in Isaiah, and we left it in a bit of a cliffhanger, and then we went and put a two-week gap uh, in the middle. It's just like a good old TV show, isn't it? We were left wanting to know what's going to happen next. So let me just recap where we were before. See, God has just said that he can rescue his people. He's just said that he will perform another exodus that's going to make the previous one look like a walk through a paddling pool. He said to the people back in verses 18 and 19, forget the former things, do not dwell on the past sea, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs up, do you not perceive it? I'm making a way in the wilderness and streams in the wasteland. God is going to rescue his people and it's going to be amazing, it's going to be glorious. Now the question remains, right there in verse 19, look at it with me. The question right in the centre there, it's really easy to to let it pass you by. Do you not perceive it? God will rescue his people, but if they do not see it, history is going to be doomed to repeat itself. Great. I think that catches us up to where we need to be this evening, because Isaiah is going to carry on from where we just were. And this evening, we need to address the big central issue. The elephant in the room, you could say. This is the big issue that is known as sin. And the way that Isaiah does this is he makes us really grapple with what sin is. The way that Isaiah shows us and the way I want us to think this evening is to ask this question. Isn't it harsh for God to judge sin? Isn't it harsh for God to judge sin? That might be a question you have, might be a question 
you have friends asking. And you see, depending on our view of what sin is, that question is going to give us a whole bunch of different answers. I mean, it's hard to deny that sin is a key idea in Christianity, isn't it? I say that, but many people actually teach that sin doesn't really matter. There's one famous preacher who has very shiny teeth, who purposely, he says this, he purposefully does not talk about sin. He avoids it. It's terrible, isn't it? But let's try and get a bit closer to where we are this evening. Perhaps our view of sin is that it is something like naughty things that we do. Sin is, uh, it consists of breaking commands. It consists of breaking rules. Now, if we were to ask this question, isn't it harsh for God to judge sin? Well, we might say yes, depending on which command or rule is broken. But is it really fair? Does the punishment really match the crime? Maybe for murder, yes. For me lying to my friend, wanting eternity in hell? That's a bit harsh, isn't it? Gotta say that's a tad harsh. Or if we were to put this into a, a historical uh, situation, that's the situation Isaiah wants us to be thinking about this evening. Let's have a think about Israel, shall we? Israel, God's people, they're given land, they're given possessions, but now they're going into exile. Isn't it harsh for God to judge them for their sin? Isn't it harsh to put them into exile because of their sin? Well, the big answer that this section of Isaiah wants us to understand is that no, it's not harsh because sin is personal. No, because sin is personal. Now, when I say that, you might be able to see why the previous explanations of sin are weak and why they miss the point. There's a big difference, isn't there, between a child who disobeys their parent and a child who disowns their parent. There's a big difference, isn't there, between breaking the speed limit and getting a fine versus committing treason against Queen Elizabeth herself. See, unless we get a proper grasp of what sin is, we might think that punishment doesn't fit the crime. We might think that it is harsh for God to judge sin. And that's exactly what Isaiah wants Israel and exactly what Isaiah wants us here to know. Sin is the big barrier to God's plan. It's something that needs, it's something that requires a solution. Well, let's see how that works, shall we? God has just announced his plan to rescue, remember? But Israel's response here is telling. Now, when we come to the Bible, it's usually a good technique to spot repeated words. If you've been to one of our training evenings, you'll have heard that one again and again. Yet one of the most repeated words in the Bible is known as the pronoun. That's the I, the you, the me, the they kind of words. Just have a note, just notice here in this passage, the pronouns. That's what's repeated over and over. I'm going to emphasize them for us, verses 22 and 23. It says this, yet you have not called on me, Jacob. You have not wearied yourselves for me, Israel. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, nor honoured me with your sacrifices. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. See, those repeated words, they come up all the way through. But what's the point of highlighting that for us? Well, it's to point out and to emphasise just how personal, the personal nature of sin here. 
we have to notice here that God is speaking personally. See, the idea that sin is simply rule breaking, well, it robs the personal nature from it. In effect, it treats God as if he's a force rather than personal. It's really easy, isn't it, to think of God as a force and not personally. But that's not how the Bible presents God. The Bible presents God as personal. See, I think there's a reason that burglaries happen at night. It removes the personal aspect from it, doesn't it? You don't have to look the victim in the face. It takes someone ex extraordinary cruel to steal directly from a victim. You see, to remove the personal nature of God in sin is an attempt at doing just that. But sin is personal. Sin is against God. And since God is not just a force, since he is personal, that has an effect on our relationship with him. See, Israel's temptation uh, all the way through the Old Testament has been to treat God like a vending machine. If you put something good in, you get something good out. It's mechanical. It's not personal. Yet by tracing these pronouns, by tracing those I, me, you, they reveal something really striking. Let's have a look at verse 23. Right in the middle of verse 23 is what I want us to see. You have not brought me sheep for burnt offerings, not honoured me with your sacrifices. Here it is. I have not burdened you with grain offerings, nor wearied you with demands for incense. See, God's not sitting there waiting to be appeased. He isn't like a pair of scales, do something bad and a weight is added to one side and do something good and it'll correct the balance. And in fact, God has said he's not burdened them that with that at all. But verse 24, they have burdened him with their sins. They have wearied him with their offences. Do you see? Sin is personal. It's like sitting in God's lap, simply to slap him in the face. Sin isn't an abstract thing. It's not a distant thing. Sin is deeply personal. Well, perhaps you're sitting there now realising just how big a deal sin is. Perhaps this idea is something that's new to you. Well, whatever we're thinking this evening, we should be thinking, if sin is that personal, what can be done about it? Or even better, actually, can something be done about it? If we grasp the seriousness of sin, we should really be asking that question. And that's where one of the greatest verses in the entire Bible about God comes. Verse 25, God says this, I, even I am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sin no more. So even though our sin is deeply personal, God is still able to forgive it. In fact, the only person who can forgive sin is God. That makes perfect sense, doesn't it, when we realise just how personal sin is. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And notice God ties his forgiveness, this forgiveness here, to who he is. Verse 25, it is for his own sake that he forgives. You see, it's what he promises to do. Back in Exodus chapter 34, God said to Moses that he forgives rebellion wickedness and sin. See, this isn't anything new. This is who God is. 
If you're hearing this evening and you're thinking to yourself, your sin is far too great for God to forgive, you need to hear these words, verse 25. Yes, our sin is great, but God's mercy is more. As we hear of God's forgiveness, we need to hold the other side up as well. Remember, we're asking, isn't it harsh for God to judge sin? Israel know all of this about God. They know Exodus. They know God will forgive them if they come to him. Yet they're heading into exile. They're heading into judgment for their sin. And as they do that, it's a stark reminder of the fate of everyone who forget, who rejects God's forgiveness. So we learn it the same way that Israel's reminded here. We learn it from their history. Verses 26 to 28, they remind us that Israel's history shows God judging sin. Right from their very first father. I mean, we've been reading the story of Jacob, haven't we, on a Sunday morning. And I'm sure as we've read it, you realise just how dodgy he is. But as we read through the Old Testament, we know that things don't much improve. And so God's judgment rightly did fall on his people again and again. And it falls on Israel again here in exile too. Sin is personal and therefore judgment is right. If we grasp just how big God is and how personal God is, how perfect God is, then we can't help but see how big a deal sin is. Where does that leave us? Isn't it harsh for God to judge sin? Well, the, the answer that Isaiah gives us here is no, because sin is personal. Israel's exile is deserved. God has been gracious. He's been patient with them till now. Yet here they still refuse to turn to him. See, sin is a massive deal. And until that has been dealt with, history is doomed to repeat itself. Without realising just how big a deal sin is, Israel have no chance of a remedy. Yet God here is hinting at a solution. He doesn't give us the workings of it just yet, but he shows us that forgiveness is possible. God ties himself to that fact. We're not going to see how that works until a few chapters time, but God has a plan to stop history repeating itself. And in fact, we know that solution, don't we? How much greater our appreciation should be this evening that God has dealt with our sin by sending his own son. I hope this evening that we've gained a better grasp on what our sin is and just how serious it is. And that should make us all the more grateful for what God has done about it in the Lord Jesus. When you get to the book of Luke at the end in the New Testament, Luke chapter 5, a similar idea comes up again. Let me read a bit of Luke chapter 5 for us. It's going to be verses 18 to 21, if you want to check what I'm reading. It says this, some men came carrying a paralysed man on a mat, and they tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they couldn't find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on a roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and the teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? For who can forgive sins but God alone? Well, I hope you found some comfort there. Any feedback can be sent to me on podcast at david-couch.com and I'll see you next time.